Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 768th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to our August Garden Chat, and I am here with Teresa Watkins. Hello, Teresa. Hi, how are you, Greg? Fantastic, and I love it that you joined us. So let me introduce you and then we'll jump into the topic. Okay, I'm ready. Teresa is a garden author, landscape designer, horticulturist, and radio personality. She had the honor of designing the landscape for the first certified green home in Florida. Teresa taught Florida-friendly principles for the University of Florida and was instrumental in developing the Florida Water Star Water Conservation and Certification Program. How cool is that? She is the host of the podcast, Better Lawns and Gardens, plus her first gardening book series, A Gardener's Compendium, Gardening in a Twitter World in 140 Characters or More, is available at bookshops, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and on Teresa's website. Welcome to the chat tonight, Teresa. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Awesome. So tonight we were, we've been looking actually for about the past three or four months for somebody to talk about this acronym. And I wish Janice was here because she loves acronyms. IPM. IPM, Integrated Pest Management. Yeah. And yeah. I actually, when, remember I, I mentioned a minute ago that I went back to college late in life. One, I had one whole semester of IPM. So I got 45 hours of integrated pest management. So it's going to be an interesting chat then. Yeah, there you go. So let's jump in. And what is IPM? Integrated pest management. There's a very serious legal definition for you. And so let me read it. It's the academic legal version. Integrated pest management is the coordinated use of pest and environmental information and available pest control methods to prevent unacceptable levels of damage by the most economical means with the least possible hazard to people, property, and the environment. That's the academic version. Now, what does that mean? It means getting rid of pests 
the easiest, simplest, and the least expensive way that you do the most, you know, that you have the most productive harvest or crop growing. Uh-huh. Now, so, can IPM be done without pesticides? Is that a balancing act there or can it be done it without can. pesticides? It can. It's based on thresholds. So it depends on whether you're a greenhouse, a nursery, a grower, a farmer, or you're a botanical garden, or you are a homeowner resident. So all of those individual growing vendors or companies have a certain level where they have to make a profit or they have to have enough food to eat. And so IPM, you have to have thresholds and that's understanding how much damage can your crops or your plants handle before I have to go to a pesticide or a organic or an uh, inorganic a synthetic treatment. Got it. So it's a balancing act, essentially. Balancing act. So for the grower who sees one or two pests like aphids or white flies, that's not going to be a big deal when he's growing a whole greenhouse or several thousand acres of property. One or two pests isn't going to be an issue. If you're a homeowner and you have one or two, that shouldn't be a problem either. But you start seeing as a homeowner, 5, 10, 15, 20, you're going to have to do something to prevent your plants from being destroyed or pre preventing you from having a crop. Okay. And so that could include a chemical pesticide. It could include a, a natural pesticide. And or it could include other things, could it not? I would like to use I would like to help everyone understand that chemicals can be organic or synthetic. Mm -hmm. Organic, they could be natural or synthetic. And so organic growers can use organic pesticides, which is a chemical. Chemical is not a bad word. Water is a chemical. Uh. <laughs> okay. And so water is H2O. And so we have to understand what we're putting down. And we want to use the least harmful to the environment controls first, which may be just picking off the insect off of the plant, not even using a chemical or just using a product like an insecticidal soap or BT for the control. BT is a organic, it is a natural product, but if you overuse even a natural product, you're going to, you're going to harm the environment. Uh -huh. So it's all again about that word balance. Yeah. All right. So you gave me this list of things to look at, and this is a chapter of your new book. Yes. It's coming out yes. on IPM. And number one is the use of chemicals in the landscape and garden. So we just learned that chemicals Water is a chemical, so chemicals isn't a bad thing necessarily. Right. Then the A under that is reasons for using pesticides. So now all of a sudden, we're not talking chemicals anymore. We're talking pesticides. And Tell pesticides. me about that. So let's describe what a pest is. Okay, so a pest could be a rodent. It could be an insect. It could be a disease. So those are all different pests. It could be a deer. 
so pesticides are treatments that will prevent the pest or kill the pest. There are reasons to use it. And we do have controls, natural controls to keep the deer from eating our plants. We have pests that you can use natural products for. But let's talk about the ways we don't even need to use chemicals or a pesticide. We can, if you have aphids on your butterfly weed, your eclepsias, you could take the hose and spray the hose right on the butterfly weed and they go away and they get yeah. annoyed and just go away. You do that a couple of times and they stay, stay away. So we did use a chemical. It just happened to be water. That's right. That's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so, you know, the, you use the least harmful to the environment first, which means you could be picking the insects off the plants or having the best management practices to prevent diseases. You want to make sure you're not causing the disease. And so again, you've got your best management practices, your right cultural methods. It could even be crop rotation. You don't want to grow the same vegetable in the same vegetable family Ooh. year after year. You're going to start getting diseases or issues with it. Got it. And so the B underneath this, so there was A, reasons for using pesticides. The B under this took me a little bit by surprise. It says reasons for taking pesticides off the market. Yes. Talk to me about that. That is, and pesticides could also be weeds too. So we could, we're talking about herbicides too as well. Right. Reasons for taking it off the market. The number one reason that we're taking these pesticides off the market, because pesticides and herbicides are safe. What's on the shelf that's labeled for use outdoors in the landscape are safe when used according to the label and only when necessary. That's a big, that's a big thing. That used only as, or according to the label and only as necessary. So sometimes these chemicals, you're only allowed to use twice a year. And we have people that are using them every month. Wow. So they're showing up in the soil, they're showing up in our water supply. <laughs> And so one of the reasons we're taking these pesticides or chemicals, herbicides off the market is we can't control people. And so we're protecting you from yourself because so many times these growers and these landscape operations that use the products safely and according to the label, it keeps getting diluted and diluted because we can't trust people to use it correctly. Wow. When I've heard that, that the home market is one of the biggest abusers of pesticides out there. And that makes sense. They're the ones who don't use it correctly. Of course, professionals always, if they're a good professional, let me just make it that, make that caveat. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Good, good landscapers and growers will use it correctly and only as necessary. And so that's the big thing. The label is the law. And that's very important to remember because we have sometimes, oh, I've only got a little bit left in the bottle. So we'll pour it in or, okay, if a little bit does this much, I really have a bad problem. So I'm going to pour a lot more in yeah. and, you know, you're going to just one, you're going to take a risk with your plants because there's only a certain amount that's supposed to be used on the plant. And that's, it is safe at that level when you're putting it in on more or adding to it then the product is no longer safe. 
Yeah. And you have to use it with protection for your body. And as the label says, if you're going to use it, I haven't, I did an experiment with Roundup maybe 15, 20 years ago with the urban farm, because I'm a scientist. I like to run experiments. So I had this small area at the urban farm in Phoenix. It was a crack between the driveway and a little wall. And in that little crack grew Bermuda grass. And apparently Bermuda grass is supposed to be taken out by glyphosate. So I followed the directions explicitly. And six months later, the grass came back. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Yeah. Okay. One that it could be when the temperatures, the weather's not correct, the plant is stronger than the product and the product could have been diluted even more. Mm. May not have been, some plants are stronger than the chemical. What is available to us as homeowners or as small commercial industries is not available. Other companies can get larger and more stronger. Or maybe it just doesn't, I just concluded, and you're right, it may have been diluted, but I just concluded it didn't work for me. And I found weeds to be that annoying. Yeah. So I, I just, I find, and I haven't used an herbicide, a pesticide in decades besides that. And I, yeah, we have a few weeds where I don't want them. And we have a few pests where I don't want them, but it just hasn't been a problem for me in a garden. That's your threshold. And that's good. I will tell you my story that my sister went to the University of North Carolina. And she was very degreed and very intelligent and the sweetest soul. And I went up on one Thanksgiving to fix her dinner. Our mom had passed. And so we weren't really having a family traditional Thanksgiving anymore. We were all spread out. And so we went up to our home to North Carolina to fix her Thanksgiving dinner. And as I was cooking and cleaning up, I saw that there was ants on her honey bear jar. You know, that honey butter squeeze jar. Okay, So there was little ants going right up coming back down and coming right back up again. And I thought, oh, that's so cute. Sarah has ants. I know how to fix that. So I cleaned the bottle all off. And then I was going to make plans to go to the store the next day and get some ant bait to take uh-huh. care of the issue. She came around the corner and she said, she literally screamed. And my husband jumped in the living room and she <laughs> goes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, Sarah, you have ants. I know how to fix that. And so we're going to go. She goes, oh, she was so aggravated with me. And she said, I had them trained. And I blinked and went, what? And she had them trained to go to that honey bear jar. As long as they didn't go anywhere else in the house, that was her threshold. She was fine with Ah. them into the honey bear jar. Nice. And I know why UNC loses to Duke all the time now. But that was her threshold of being okay with ants in her her home. And so we all have to find that threshold of what works for us. One or two bugs, no big whoop. You've got a lot of them, then there's an issue there. And sometimes it can be prevented. Let's talk bugs. Because given who I am, I get emails weekly from people that's, or photographs. I, I regularly invite people to send me a picture of a, what do you got? Right. And often I will get people sending me pictures of bugs or stories about bugs and how do I treat them? My such and such tree, peach tree has bugs on it. How do I treat it? 
And I'm often, I don't know, I'm gobsmacked at that question. And I really try and share with people that, first of all, a majority of the bugs out, are, out there aren't bad. And the other part is that you have to know exactly what the bug is before you treat it. Exactly. Because I had a guy treating something on his peach trees with neem oil and it was the wrong stuff. So exactly. identifying and treating. What most of the questions I get, especially people moving down from North to Florida, and we mm -hmm. have so many insects here and things like that. They love the climate. They love the weather too. So they're here just as much as everyone else. They're, they tell me that I have this ugly bug. And I have to say how many, that's a nymph for a larva. And how many of us were good looking when we were first born? That just because it's ugly doesn't mean it's a bad bug right? or a bad insect. So we got to identify it first before we do anything. One of the problems is I'll get them and they'll say, my grass isn't growing. I'll go, why? I put insecticide down. I put a disease, a fungicide down. I put you know this down. Oh. I put this down. And now my grass is dying. What do I do? And <laughs> it's because you're putting too many chemicals down. Identify the problem. And the easiest way to do that is to contact you or me or someone that they trust but the extension office too will be able to identify bugs for them and find out what it is before they put any chemicals down yeah. because the other reason is you have a dead area in your grass the bugs may be gone the disease may be over the disease might not even be spreading uh, yeah. why would you put a chemical down on something that there's nothing there yeah so find out if you still have the issue. Do you have the bugs? Identify them. And when you're looking to see if you have bugs, don't look in the dead area. Okay. Let's say we have this green or this dead patch in our turf. Don't look at the dead area. That They caused the dead area. They're not in the dead area anymore. They're in the green grassy area. And wow. then find out if you still have them. When we're looking at integrated pest management, what are our steps in? Very first steps is to be able to scout. Scouting is important. You want to check your, I'm going to say there's no professional farmers here or growers here. I'm going to say it's mostly residential and people who are taking care of their yards. You want to make sure that you identify everything by weekly. Walk your yards on a regular basis. Know what your yard looks like when it's healthy so you can identify a problem when you get it. That's the most important thing. And then when you find a problem, identify what it is and research or ask what the solution is. Don't necessarily go out to the store and buy something immediately or ask your neighbors. Neighbors are really horrendous for asking advice from. Right. Or they'll say, my grandmother put nicotine, go ahead and put nicotine and do a tobacco juice on the plants. Tobacco kills people. Of course, it's going to kill insects, but it's not good for the environment either. It contains mosaic virus in it. And if you're putting that on your roses, that's not good for your roses. So find out what you have, find the solution to it, make sure that you still have the issue and follow the label on anything that you use. Big time. And we don't always have to treat this stuff, right? Don't have to treat it. If your plants are looking good, you find one, 
And we do have such a population of predator bugs that Mother Nature sends in. If you have bad bugs or an insect issue, Mother Nature is going to send in her army and Mother Nature is going to take care of the problem. Ladybug larvae, they look horrible. They look like little earth earworms and stuff like that. The ladybug larvae are very ugly. And they bite. And they bite, but they take care of all of your issues, your spider mites, your, you know, all of your aphids. They love eating those. But if you kill all the bugs or use a chemical, then you're not going to get, you're going to kill the good bugs too as well, the predatory bugs as well. Yeah. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. That's really what we want to do is we want to start creating a balance in our gardens. That's it. So that we can have a good balance of the good bugs coming in and taking care of the issue. And that's important. And I will say one of the biggest problems, reasons why we don't have butterflies, why we don't have pollinators, why we don't have bees is because of pesticide treatments on a routine basis, monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly spraying of mm -hmm. yards, even if there's not a problem there. We should only use chemicals when we see the insect. There are no bug preventatives out there. And I'm not talking about the treatments for like termiticide and stuff like that, but I'm talking about simple sprays and spraying that the commercials companies do. We should not be doing that on a routine basis. Only when we find a problem. a problem and then spot treat. We don't need to do our yard, our neighbor's yard and mother-in-law's yard across town. We just do our yard, spot treat. Yeah. And I just want to come back to this. Be very clear what you're treating for and what you're treating before you ever start. Exactly. Take it in and identify it. The extension office can do that for you. You can take it to your master gardener clinics, your farmer's markets usually have master gardener clinics on the weekends, or take it to someone who is a scientist can identify it. And then even send a picture in to you, to me, whoever they yeah. trust, send it in. We'll answer. I found this really cool app. It's called Seek. Have you ever seen that? No. It is. Let me just open it up real quick. It is an amazing identifier of plants and bugs. It is called Seek by iNaturalist. And I found it to be really good. Being new, so I lived in Phoenix for 54 years. If you pointed at a plant in Phoenix, I knew what it was. Right. Phoenix is way different than Asheville, North Carolina. And so being here in Asheville, North Carolina, I know these in back of me are gladiolas because I planted them and I know what gladiolas They're look beautiful. like. Beautiful. But that's about the extent of it. Yeah. So having Seek, S-E-E-K by iNaturalists has been an invaluable tool for me. So there are tools now that will identify mushrooms. Yes. So I know there's issues. Exactly. Yeah. And That's good. Also, too, knowing when to actually put down any kind of treatment, whether it's natural or synthetic, because like the sod webworm that's very prevalent here in Florida, when you see the moth, one or two, you don't have to do anything. Every yard has a little bit of bad bugs in it. Mm -hmm. See a cloud coming up, <laughs> then you need to treat it because your grass is going to start to die. But you don't treat the moth. The moth isn't doing the damage. 
It's the larva. It's the eggs that are going to hatch uh, into the larva that's going to eat the roots. And so then you have so you have to wait a month to six weeks for the larva to be able to kill the actual sod webworm. So just knowing the cycle of the insect too and when it occurs is important. Well, and that's something that BT can address, couldn't it? So BT can be used for it. BT, say a little bit about that because it's magical in my opinion. BT thuringiensis is a wonderful pesticide. It's natural. It comes from pyrethrum and it is just incredible. It doesn't hurt humans or the environment. And again, you can find it in many different forms at your local centers, your garden nurseries or your garden centers, your nurseries. And it's a great product. And that's BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Yes. Um, and it's natural. It's, Very natural. Yeah. Yeah. So here's an interesting question. So for all you out there, I usually have a list of questions that I get from my guests so that I, I at least have some place to go as we're chatting along. And this says question number 13, Greg's Urban Farm. It's rural now, but <laughs> my farm, what IPM practices do I use? You asked. I was wanting to know, what do you use in your everyday maintenance? Yeah. In Phoenix, I didn't use anything. There was really nothing that was so prevalent on anything that I grew. And I grew garden veggies and fruit trees and that kind of stuff. So on a scale of one to a hundred, the pest pressure in the low desert is like a two. All of a sudden I move here and the pest pressure is like a 122. The humidity, the, the weather, yeah. the rain. Yeah, it's more it's more biodiverse. <laughs> yes, big time. And I had to get a reminder from my buddy, Zach Brooks at Arizona Worm Farm. I was on the phone with him one day, lamenting my garden about a year ago. And he said, Greg, don't forget. Now, remember, the first time I planted a garden was 1975. So <laughs> I and I had gardens pretty much straight on through from 1975 until 2021 when I left Phoenix. Wow. So I know how to garden in Phoenix and I get here and I'm complaining to him about how badly my garden's doing. And it was this and that and everything. And he reminded me, Greg, your first garden is your worst garden. Oh, it'd been, <laughs> it'd been 40 years for me. I took you a step back. Quickly. Yep. On a scale of one to 10, last year's garden was a one. This year's garden, I got it up to about a four. Good. Yeah. What's your biggest problem? The biggest problem, there's two of them, caterpillars on brassicas and tomatoes. Yeah. And Heidi primarily just picks them off. Yeah. We have a, a 20 by 30 garden area. So it's just, that's for her and I, those, that's a big one. And so she picks up a, off a lot of those. And by this time next year, we will have chickens. So those will all get fed to the chickens. There you go. That's wonderful. Um, and the other thing that we've had a dramatic impact from is tomato blight. Uh. It just turns the tomatoes, the tomatoes do really well. And then all of a sudden this blight turns all the leaves black starting on the bottom and just crawls up the top. And interestingly, I just recently planted out a hundred elderberries and blueberry plants. 
And I, the first thing I did when I arrived here is I set up a worm composting bin so I could do something with my kitchen scraps. Okay. And so I took worm compost and I mixed it in with every tree that I planted. I took a handful of worm compost and mixed it in there. I have tomatoes coming up in 30% of my hundred planting holes. They're just coming up around the elderberries and around the blueberries and that kind of stuff. And they're thriving. <laughs> Where they're not even being maintained. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm just paying attention to those out there thinking, oh my gosh. So they're not getting regular water. So when I plant my trees and elderberries and blueberries and that kind of stuff, I put two pounds of organic fertilizer in the hole. Mm -hmm. I put two pounds of azomite. That's I a micronutrient. Azomite. Yep. Two ounces of mycorrhiza. And that all gets mixed up in the soil that gets planted in. It was highly nutrient-dense soil along with the worm castings. So what I'm doing is I'm watching the potted tomatoes. They're struggling. We're not getting the same impact 60 feet away on the ones that volunteered and aren't getting watered regularly except by the rain. I will tell you through all of my experiences, water is at the base of every problem that we, we have in gardening. Really? Not enough or too much. Yeah. So it's got to have a healthy root system and a healthy root system doesn't need watered as much. We think we're hot. We think, oh, we got to water two, three times a day. I had one caller to my show in your backyard and the caller called in and said, my grass, I've had to replace it three times and I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I said, how often do you water? And she said, I only water twice a week. So in my mind, diagnosing this on the air, I'm thinking uh -huh. that's not the problem then. Twice a right. week is okay. So then we go through all the issues and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I'm going, so again, how often do you water? And she said, I only water twice a week. And I said, is it grass dry and crackly or is your grass slimy? Is it turning yucky and melting? And she said, oh, it's turning slimy. And I said, how long do you water for? She said three hours in the morning and three hours at night. She was Twice. watering. Wow. She was literally killing her grass, but she thought it was hot. This was Florida. And you can wow. only water twice a week here. And so she thought that was the, it, she was going to water as much as she could on those two days. Yeah. And the thing is that we only need to give them what they need. Watering twice a week. You can water once every 10 days. If it has enough soil and the soil's good and holds onto the moisture long, you only have to water once a week or once every 10 days. Yeah. People think I have to water every two days or twice a week. They don't need to. And what I tell people, buy yourself a $9 moisture meter. There you go. I have 10 free ones. <laughs> right. Well, I pay attention <laughs> to the trees. So I put my fingers in the ground and the ground is cool, moisture, damp. You don't need to water. Yeah. Yeah. So, cool. But it works out. But I think we, we're just so kind to our plants. Yeah. And, but on the other hand, we're talking about IPM is being very aware of what's going on in your garden and taking care of an issue when it's a small issue, not when it's nearly dying. Well, so one of the issues that we had in Phoenix on our grapes was called skeletonizers. Yes. Yes. There's, there are these little caterpillar that get up to just about the veins. 
Yeah, three quarters of an inch, and they skeletonize the leaves of the grapes. We have it and, with palm trees too. The, oh, really? Okay. Palm skeletonizers. One of the things that I would do is I would tell people, watch for them. Look at your grapes. You said walk your garden every day when you start seeing them because they start off teeny teeny. So what I would do with them in Phoenix is when I saw them arrive on one leaf, you just look on the back of the leaf and they're all there. You take it off, feed it to the chickens. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Put it in a bucket of soapy water, put it in the garbage bag, get rid of the problem. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Donald would like to know, did I get squash bugs and how do you manage them? So we don't have squash bugs here. Thank you very much. <laughs> but when you do get squash bugs, any thoughts on managing them? Again, it just depends on how many. One or two is not a big issue if you have, let's say, five to ten squash plants, squash vines. But you can use insecticidal soap. You can use a, a oil if you would like to. So you use the least harmful to the environment. And that usually is your insecticidal soap. Now, one mm -hmm. big word about insecticidal soap. You want to not use soap from homemade recipes as much because they use, if you use an antibacterial soap and you use it often in your yard, oh. you're going to kill those microbes and the good bacteria in your soil. You Hello. don't want to use antibacterial soap in, yeah. use what's on the shelf. The shelf has a label. It's been tested outside. It tells you exactly how to use it and how much to use. Okay, so homemade recipes can be very hard. Great. So what you're saying is go to the store. If you're going to use an, an insecticidal soap, buy the one at the store. Don't make up your own. Don't make up your own unless you really know what you're doing, but then you can take a risk. Then you just want to use it on one little leaf, see if it harms the plant. But just overusing chemicals in our environment is just bad all the way around, whether it's natural right. or synthetic. Yeah. Okay, Jerry says, your gladiolas are beautiful. Thank you. One of my favorite flowers. I have a spice Z nectoplum that is about six years old. The leaves look good, except for the heat damage right now. That's there. Uh, she's in Phoenix. Yeah. During the whole life of the tree, the fruit always get, gets white crystals on the outside, and it never gets really soft. I know what's going on here because I've from the desert and have been You're dealing from with yeah, that, yeah. Arizona. any thoughts on that no I, i'm waiting to hear it's a thrip oh my goodness thrips okay. thrips are these little bugs that live in the soil and they climb up the tree of citrus and nectarines only and they suck on the fruit now for the citrus it's no big deal but right. for the nectarines and the, this happens to be a nectoplum what they do is they suck on the fruit and it saps it and it makes them smaller and they're gnarly and they don't yeah. look all that great. Jerry, what I tell people to do is plant a peach <laughs> because the thrips don't bother the peaches. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. So tell me about your books. Let's start there. Okay. My books, it's seven volume series. I've written three of them. It's called A Gardener's Compendium, and they each deal with a different category of gardening. The first one is called Gardening in Life, and it's about birth and death and life and spirituality and just 
all having to do with gardens. So it's antidotes, it's quotes, but it's correct quote, quotes where I've actually researched where they actually came from ah. and have the correct context in it. And it's because you on the internet and everything, you see all of these different quotes. And Abraham Lincoln said this. Abraham Lincoln said, never believe anything you read on the internet and <laughs> things like that. And But it's stories and gardening, all dealing with life. The second volume is Gardening in Time and Place. And it's about geography, history, and politics and wow. Americana. And again, all in the context of gardening mm -hmm. and poetry, stories, anecdotes, and all with the sources and with where you can look up the individual plants. If you're looking to find a quote about daffodils or foxgloves or gladiolus, you can look in the back and it will tell you what parts, what different anecdotes or poems you can find. Wow. In the book. And so then the third one is called Gardening with the senses and it's about sight sound hearing taste and touch common sense and the sense of well-being all dealing with gardening if you love trivia if you love reading if you love poetry and literature you'll love the books and i have four other categories the next one out is gardening with the arts and it's going to deal with the movies, Hollywood, TV, sculpture, wow. all of the different things. But I love them. I read them myself. <laughs> yeah, over and over again when you're writing them, right? You could you can open it up and just find anything in it. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. I love reading. I love gardening. So I combine the two. Perfect. And uh, your radio show? Your it's, podcast? Yeah, we're it's a syndicated radio show. I'm over 20 stations in Florida. Nice. And so you can hear it live Saturday mornings on WFLA Orlando from 7 to 9 a.m. Or you can sleep in on Saturday mornings and you can hear it on the podcast 24-7 wherever you hear podcasts. Nice. Nice, nice. Wendy would like to know your last name. This is Teresa Watkins. Yes, Teresa Watkins. You just Google and, me. I'm everywhere. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and your website? My website is she, S-H-E, dash consulting.com. And that she stands for sustainable horticultural environments. And so my signage for my landscape designs is who designed your landscape? She did. Nice. So are you, and you're just doing landscape designs in Florida. Yes, but I have gone to Massachusetts. I have gone out of state. Yes. All right, cool. So different states, I've had people hire me out. And uh, I design sustainable landscapes that that are low maintenance, but beautiful because I love flowers and plants. Yeah, exactly. Any final thoughts? Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I love this. And I'm going to talk about it on my show on Saturday. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. And tell everybody how to get a hold of you and where to listen to you. And you. integrated pest management is the, the best thing to do, not only for your home and your environment, but for the world. It's just going to be cheaper. It's going to be healthier. And your plants are going to appreciate it more. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Thank Thanks. you. you Take, thank you, Greg. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.
Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.